0: Good morning, you guys doing well? Good to have you with us, welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. I'm just curious here, how many would say that you had a, I've got a choice here between these two, Uh, you either had a stressful or restful Thanksgiving? Which one did you have? How many by show of hands would say that you had a very restful Thanksgiving? Show of hands? Okay okay excellent 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 how many would say you had a very stressful thanksgiving show of hands show of hands okay okay now let me ask those of you that had a a stressful thanksgiving was it because of the people that showed up (laughs) don't don't point them out in here if they're with you this morning was it because of family how many would say that sometimes family can stress you out Oh my goodness, so we're going to spend two weeks, I mean, perfect timing for this next two weeks. We're going to talk about relationships, right, during the holidays, because sometimes uh, relationships can be really, really stressful. This is our Freedom Teaching Series for Freedom Christ to set us free. Gospel relationships is what we're talking about today and next week. This is part one. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 26 and then head into chapter 6 and end at verse 5. And uh, you can also follow along there on your sermon notes. Relationships are only as healthy as the individuals that make up those relationships. Would you agree with that? So if you want to have healthy relationships, you're only as healthy as the individuals that make up those relationships. Therefore, individual wholeness is the key to healthy relationships. Relationships don't put you in conflict with others as much as they put you in conflict with your own sinful nature. Ooh, that hurts. Now remember what uh, the analogy I gave you last weekend, shook the bottle, I had the cap off the bottle, of course, and I shook the bottle and water came out of the bottle and I asked the question, why did water come out of the bottle? And and immediately we want to say, well, because you shook the bottle. And, and that's where we typically focus. Well, it's these circumstances. And actually, the Bible would say, well, yeah, we do have bad circumstances. But what's more importantly is what's on the inside, our character water came out of the bottle because there's water is inside the bottle. It's what's inside of us comes out of us when our life is being shaken around and particularly even in bad and negative circumstances. We want to think the problem is outside of us, the shaking or the circumstances, not inside of us, but it's the circumstances. Circumstances don't change your heart, but they only reveal your heart. And I'm not saying... I'm not saying you won't be sinned against or that you won't have bad things happen to you. That's gonna happen. The Bible guarantees that. What I am saying is that your actions, your reactions, your responses are always caused by what is inside of you. We just spent two weeks on character, and now we're spending two weeks on relationships. Your character makes all the difference in how you handle relationships. And the Bible's just dead on. It gives us some really phenomenal insight on dealing with relationships. We're going to look at this morning, what is the cause, the consequences, and consequences the cure to relational conflict? You hear us say this a lot around here, you know, conflict is inevitable, but combat is optional, okay? And so how you deal with that conflict can make you or break you, and how you deal with it is really based on your character, who you are, and, and so... And so that's what we're looking at this morning. Before we take a look at this text, we read this text and then unpack these notes, let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? God, we are delighted to be here today. We love you. You are merciful and gracious. You are slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. You have filled this world with pleasures of every kind. And we have every reason to thank you this morning. But we are most grateful for the indispensable and costly love of your son on the cross for us, redeeming us and rescuing us and reconciling us to you once and for all and giving us the ministry of reconciliation as it tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter five. So we pray this morning through the study of your word, the work of your Holy Spirit, teach us, teach us the cause, the consequences and the cure of relational conflict so that more and more people will know that we are your disciples by our love for one another and be irresistibly drawn to you for your glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. So let me read the text, chapter 5, starting at verse 26. Remember, the context is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's what we just finished up with. We're talk- That was character. Now we're heading into some relationships. And this is what grace looks like in our lives. He says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another envying one another. We'll spend a lot of time just on that verse. It tells us a lot about conflict and relationships. Chapter 6, verse 1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Now... So you can kind of see, we got the outline divided up into three sections, but before we kind of head into this first section, the cause, let me just say something about conflict. There are three, typically when we deal with conflict, there's one of three uh, responses. The first two I'm going to tell you about is, is natural for us to do, and that's usually where we go, and it doesn't really help us in conflict. But the third one is the important way to respond to conflict. The first two ways that we respond to conflict that are, that are bad is that we either fight or we what flight, yeah, the fight or flight syndrome, and that's the bad way to respond to conflict. The right way to respond to conflict is the third way, and it is to face, to face it, to begin to deal with it. So don't fight, don't flight, but to face it, and, uh, and what I've learned through the years as a pastor, as a husband, as a dad... Dealing with people in my life is that when I've learned to face it, it gives me amazing opportunity to, to grow and to increase in intimacy and maturity, not only in my relationship with God, but in my relationship with others. And that's the benefit of conflict in our lives, that we can actually look. So listen, conflict, and when you have conflict with others in your life, it's going to bring to you uh, characteristics and qualities that, that nothing else can bring into your life. And so this is going to give us some really great insight into that. The, bio, the Bible's dead on. God is dead on with how do we deal with this, and it's just really great insight. So first of all, the causes uh, of our conflict is honor hunger we get the word conceited, that's in verse 26. Remember what we read. He says, let us not become conceited. And here's your first couple fill in the blanks. It is a deep insecurity committed to proving our worth and value to ourselves and others. I kind of jumped ahead there. Look at the word conceit on your notes. The Greek word is kino doxoi. Kino is empty, doxoi, or doxa is where we get the word glory. So it's a vain glory or empty of honor. Empty of glory. That's when someone's conceited, they're empty of glory. And so it is a deep insecurity committed to proving our worth and value to ourselves and others. Now, we just spent two weeks talking about, as I said, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the works works of the flesh, fruit of the Holy Spirit, desires of the flesh, desires of the Spirit. Verses 16, 17, and 24 talk about the desires of the flesh, the word desires is epithumia, and it means over desires. It's taking a good thing and turning it into an ultimate thing in our lives. You hear me say this a lot. So it's taking your marriage or your job or your kids or any number of things, and it's important that they're, they're valuable to you, but we, we put too much value on them. They become a a counterfeit god, a pseudo-savior to us. And that's what that means. So we define the word flesh as an empty ego trying to get from creation what only the creator can give you. So that's the flesh. So with the desires of the flesh, epithumia, so good things that have become ultimate things in our life, they become too important to us. And we can't live without those things. I can't live without getting married or having a spouse that affirms me or having my kids turn out a certain way or having a successful job or career. I can't live without those things. They become, they begin to drive our lives. They control our lives. That's what he's talking about here. The word glory... Is a word that means weight, significance, importance. It means that, that I matter. My life counts. And so we tend to do that with, with temporal things as opposed to eternal things. I know my life will count if I could just achieve this or acquire that or accomplish this. Now, you might not be saying that to yourself consciously, but we all do that subconsciously. There's things in life. And so the Bible says that's the works of the flesh. And it's to replace God with something that's very temporal, to exchange the eternal for the temporal. And uh, and so it really creates all kinds of problems. There's nothing more dangerous than an insecure, glory-hungry man. Bars love them. Casinos expand because of them. Gangs recruit them. There's nothing more dangerous than an insecure, glory-hungry woman. Nightclubs love them. The seductive fashion industry expands because of them controlling glory hungry men take advantage of them now here's an extreme extreme case of glory hunger would be street gangs i'm just using that just so you kind of get an idea or even isis glory hunger conceit desperate to fill this void inside that's what that word means so street gangs or, or biker gangs are, are usually filled with, with young or old men who are glory-hungry, feeling unvalued by families and society. And if you, you walk down the street and just barely slight them, they will pull a gun on you. Why would someone do that? They're glory-hungry. They're, they're desperate to fill the void inside. Nation-states have, have also acted the same as even street gangs. In fact, even if you had relatives over... Uh, you know, over the holidays, you'll even have a relative or two that you'll, you'll just slight them and they'll lash out at you. You go, what was that about? It's because they're glory hungry. My, uh, I was talking to one of my relatives uh, during this Thanksgiving and, and the one was saying, why does this person act the way they do? They're so arrogant. They just come off so full of themselves. They're just, they're like a bully. They're condescending and so condemning. And I said, because they're conceited. And their conceit comes from their starving for glory. They're so empty inside that they're going to push everybody else around. They're going to bully. They're trying to prove themselves to everybody else. So, you can kind of see why that would create conflict in relationships. That's kind of at the core of that. Take a look at the next Point on your notes. It is consumed with comparing ourselves with others, causing us to either be inflated or deflated. We'll get into the inflated and deflated in a minute. That's the next part, the consequences. But I just wanted to kind of throw that in there. So it's really consumed. I want you to focus on it. It is consumed with comparing ourselves with others causing us to either be inflated, that's tower, or deflated, cower. Now, if you have your Bibles still open, look at verses 3 through 5, chapter 6. We read that. That was part of our text. For if anyone thinks that he is something when he is nothing, why would we think we are something? We, we tend to build our ego based on our successes in life, whatever that might be. And the Bible says, that's nothing apart from God. That's what he means by that. You think you're something? You're nothing. Oh, you got a big house? Big deal. You got a great career? Pfft, that's nothing. Compared to what we have in God, that's what he's saying. So he's making this comparison. Oh, and by the way, you're nothing in the sense that you can't earn your right standing with God. You don't have anything to give to God that he would want. Isn't that interesting? And so that's what he's saying. You're nothing. And all the stuff in this world is nothing compared to what you can have in Him, and you can't earn what you can have in Him. It, he gives that to you freely by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So that's a little bit of the idea that He's talking about here. So if anyone thinks that He is something when He is nothing, in other words, you can't earn your salvation and righteousness, you deceive yourself. You think you're something? You're nothing. And we see, we in our society, we try to build everybody up. No, you're something. You're something. The Bible says, "No, you're nothing." Welcome to the Bible welcome to Desert Breeze. Ah, you're nothing. You think you're so big? Nah, you're nothing. You have nothing to offer God. And yet he gives us everything. That's amazing. I can't give him anything that he would want other than to give him my heart. That would be the best thing that I could give to him. But but let each one, notice what he says next, but let each one test his own work and then... His reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Do you notice the comparison there? In other words, he's saying, don't compare yourself with others. Why are you doing that? Compare yourself. And that's what we do in our culture, by the way. That's what American is built on. That's our consumerism, capitalism, you know, consumption society. It's all about comparison. That's what drives the market. And he said, why do you do that? That's dumb. Don't do that. Now, he is saying you compare your... Your accomplishments with your capabilities and your giftings. That's appropriate. Are you are you achieving what how God has wired you up? Are you doing what God has called you to do? That's what you should do. That's what he's saying there. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 gives us some more insight on that. He says, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves. By the way, this is the context where Paul is saying that I don't listen to the opinion of anybody about me. I don't even think about my own opinion of me. The only person's opinion that really matters is God's. And so that's the context that he's saying. And so this is what he says, 2 Corinthians 10, 12. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they're without understanding. They're not in touch with reality. Now see, here's the point. You can always find someone who's doing worse than you. And you can feel pretty pumped up about that. Well, I'm not like them. And you can always find someone who's doing much better than you and feel kind of deflated by that. The Bible says that's not wise. Why are you comparing yourself with others? You're not in touch with reality when you do that. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, put it this way, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It is the comparison that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. The pleasure of being above the rest. See, that's, he's defining that as pride. It's based on this comparing system. So... So it is a deep, this, this idea, this conceited is a hunger, is an honor hunger, glory hunger. It is a deep insecurity committed to pr- proving our worth and value to ourselves and others. It is consumed with comparing ourselves with others. And then this describes, next fill in the blank, this describes the condition of our heart without the gospel. See, we were made to stand in the presence of God and receive all the worth and value we would ever need to face anything. Now think about that. If you were coming to God and getting all the wealth, all the emotional wealth, the, the worth and the value you would ever need, believe me, you could face anything in life. All the hits that you'll ever take in life, you could face them because the one that matters most considers you of greater we- wealth and, and worth than all the wealth in this world. And that's, that's that idea here. The worst thing about our rebellion against God, and that's what got us into the condition that we're in, in this fallen state. The worst thing about our rebellion against God is that it leaves us empty at the center, and so we learn to either swagger or snivel to compromise. We tend to try to compromise, and it's glory hunger is pride. It's a refusal to let God be God in our lives. Another great text, you can read this as you kind of work through the growing notes this next week and and read this, because he talks about this whole idea of conceit also. And he's talking to the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and he starts off by by just kind of walking through a number of the the great things that we have in Christ. He says, man, if you understand what you have in Jesus, why would you be conceited? Why would you be glory hungry? And then why would you be so competitive? Why would there be so a rivalry? and he's, he's really getting on to them because there was this conceit and rivalry going on within the church and so he says so if there is any encouragement in Christ literally since or because there is encouragement in Christ any comfort from love any participation in the spirit any affection and sympathy then he goes on he says I'll paraphrase it he says then you're going to have harmony and you're not going to have conceit and rivalry it just says it, it just makes sense. And, and any time that I, I become kind of a bully or I'm condescending or I'm co- condemning to others, it just shows me that I'm glory hungry, that I'm not going to him and looking into the eyes of my creator and finding all the worth and the value that I would ever need. And I'm comparing myself with others. And in the Bible just says, man, that describes the condition of a heart without the gospel. Because if you had any idea what you have in Jesus, oh my goodness, We just finished up talking about character, and uh, the more I thought about it, living a life filled with the fruit of the Holy Spirit will put your dreams to shame. Whatever whatever you have dreamed about in this life is nothing compared to what we have through the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control that we have in God. That's amazing. The very fact that we have the wealth of his presence, the comfort of his love, the strength of his power, the significance of being called his child. Nothing on this planet compares to that. That's what he's saying. That's what we have to be reminded of. Now, this brings about some consequences. The consequences are provoking and envying. Back to verse 26. So he says, let us not be conceited. Why? Because this glory hungry produces within us provoking one another, envying one another. And these are the two effects of conceit in our relationships. Provoking means to call forth, to challenge, to irritate. Isn't that an interesting word? You provoke people. So, so you got those family members or friends that when they come into the small group, they just want to pick a fight with everybody. What's wrong with that person right here? They're glory hungry. They just, they have kind of an attitude. They have a swagger about them. And the Bible's saying, oh, they're glory hungry. And uh, this almost has that idea of trash talking, Kind of this bragging. And then the next word, envying, is, means to be jealous. I kind of looked that up, wor- worked through that a little bit more, and it, it means this, it's there on your notes. It is a discontentment and resentment stirred up by and in combination with a desire for what someone else has. So, so you, got these, you got this provoking and envying, and so it goes right along with this being inflated or deflated. So provoking is an attitude of towering, That's being inflated, and then envying is an attitude of cowering. So they're kind of, uh, you can see them, kind of, they're almost kind of opposites, but they're really the same thing, They're, they're pride. So what's the worst thing that can happen to anyone? To be hated? To be attacked? No, 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 that's not the worst thing. The worst thing is to be totally ignored, to be treated like you don't matter, that you don't even exist. That you don't even exist. It is often why children and even adults act out in obnoxious and weird ways seeking attention. See, you guys know that. You've read any of the child development books? That sometimes kids will just act out and do bad things because, because why? Because negative attention is better than no attention. You guys know what I'm talking about? Show of hands. You guys, yeah. Guess what? Adults do the same thing. Adults have, you know, sometimes haven't grown up, so I'm going to draw all the attention to me. Hey, everybody, look at me. I'm going to stir things up a little bit. Yeah, people don't like that, but at least I get a little attention because I'm so glory hungry. And so that's, that's that provoking, but it can all. You can also operate in the opposite, that envying, the attitude of cowering. It is often why children or even adults become overly compliant people pleasers and let people walk all over them and even let people sin against them. Does that make sense? Because you're glory hungry. So you can see the two extremes. You're going to come off very aggressive in your personality or you're going to come off just very compliant. Oh, I just won't say anything. I'll just let people beat me up and run all over me. Well, both of those are wrong, by the way. That's both are evidence of this, this glory hunger. And, and both are, here's your next fill in the blank, both are self-absorbed, both are pride and focused on how the other person makes you look and feel instead of how you make the other person look and feel. It's interesting in our culture today that we tend to try to correct uh, an inferiority complex by giving that person a superiority complex. <laughs> have, you, have you noticed that? Oh, you're not bad. You're not bad. You're really a good person. You're in, and many churches even fall prey to that. I see churches do that all the time in their teaching. And, uh, and that's, that's the worst thing that you can do. See, the problem with an inferiority complex or a superiority complex is that you're self-absorbed. It's about self-centeredness and that's, that's, That's fundamentally what's wrong with all of us. It's our sinful nature. Does that make sense? That's our sinful nature. So don't give them a superiority complex to correct an inferiority complex. See, what they need more than anything is that they need to be taken out of themselves to quit thinking about yourself because it's not about you. It's about him. And the only way that draws you out of that, creates humility, is to be captivated by the beauty and the glory of who Christ is. The solution, as you will see in in a little bit, is the gospel. And, and to understand who you are in Jesus Christ, and, and therefore, you're not going to be walking into a party wondering, oh, you know, how are people treating me? Oh, those people snub me. Oh, I can't believe. Oh, how do I look? And you're preoccupied with... So no, you're not preoccupied with yourself. You're preoccupied with the glory of God, and how can you help that person see the glory of God? Because you've tasted of his glory and his goodness, and oh my goodness, nothing compares, and you want everybody to know it also. See, and that's, that's true humility, And that's what, so both are self-absorbed pride and focused on how the other person makes you look and feel instead of how you make the other person look and feel. And you probably know this by heart now because I, I quote it so often, but if you try to find intimacy with another person before achieving a sense of identity on your own, all of your relationships will become an effort to complete yourself. So the only thing you can bring to relationships, if you're operating out of deficit and you don't have a completeness in Christ, you're going to come needy and you're going to be using that person. It's about using them rather than allowing your heart to be filled up with who you are in Christ. And then you could take a few hits. You could take a few hits from that bully, you know, family member, but at some point you'll be able to speak truth to them and maybe you could help them in some way. Help them to find where their true identity lies and it's not in bullying people or being above everybody or towering over everybody, but it's found in Christ. And that's part of what what Christ wants to do in our lives. We talked about it last week as it relates to, uh, so if I'm operating out of a deficit, the best I can do is give people selfish affection, serving others for my good, as opposed to true love is unselfish affection, serving others for their good. And uh, and here's the next one. So both are a form of works righteousness trying to gain worth and value through performance and competition at the expense of others. So the inferior person is losing at the game, is in despair envying those they see as winners. The superior person feels as though he is winning at the game and provoking those who are less than them kind of this pecking order that, that you're working on. In the early days of pastoring, my wife and I would visit churches here in the valley when I had a weekend off. And even when we'd go on vacation, we would visit churches. And she just, de- she got to the point where she just despised visiting churches with me <laughs> because I was a jerk. And, uh, and I didn't blame her. I, and uh, it's because I was so hypercritical. And, and this is what would typically, and I didn't, you know, I was, I was conceited and I was glory hungry. And I would come to go to some churches and go, I can do better than that. When I'd hear the guy preach or when I'd see what they'd do. And what was I doing when I would say that? I'm swaggering, that's towering, I'm provoking. I'm conceited. I'm missing out on the best kind of glory there is and that's in God. Or I would say, oh, I could never do that. Wow this church is way beyond what we could ever accomplish. What was I doing there? I was sniveling and cowering and envying, only for God to expose my heart and say, wait a minute, you have me, you have my glory. What the heck are you thinking? Now, by the way, before you start pointing a finger this way, you need to know you do the very same thing. You do the very same thing in the area where you have misplaced your identity. We all do. It's called the works of the flesh. It's called the desires of the flesh. There are things in your life where you have built your sense of identity apart from Christ. And you have a tendency to compare and to compete with those that are in that same bracket that you're in. And you'll do the same thing. And you'll say, I could do better than that. Or, oh, I can never do that. You're going to be inflated or deflated because of that. Don't go there. That's a bad place to live, man. You're missing out on the beauty and the glory of Christ and who you are in Him. And it just it creates all kinds of uh, all kinds of crazy stuff in our life. And uh, here, let me go through this. Here's a good checklist. There's a good checklist. We are all a mixture of the two, but most of, all, most of us naturally lean toward one or the other. Do you have a tendency to provoke or envy in relationships? Let's go through this checklist. Just think about yourself. Don't think about the person sitting next to you. Do I, do I have a tendency to blow up or clam up? Do I have a tendency in conflict, do I blow up or clam up? How many by show of hands would say, well, a little bit of both? you guys are bipolar. (laughs) We've got medication for that. (laughs) Okay. It's the gospel. Okay. Uh, How about this next one? Do I tend to pick arguments or avoid them? I mean, I have people that that will come to the church and they'll try to pick fights with me. And it's like, give give me your best shot. I don't know what you're trying to prove, but obviously you're glory hungry because I'm not going to... You know, yeah, you probably are smarter than I am. Okay, so what? What does that mean? You know, and it's interesting how people come in and they'll begin to question me theologically and all these other things like that. And it's like, yeah, you're pretty smart. Okay, so what have you proved? Uh, And so it's just it's kind of interesting. And so do I tend to pick arguments or avoid them? Do I tend to get down on certain people groups? Oh, those, those Democrats... Well, no wonder this country is going down the tubes. Look at who he voted for on his bumper sticker. This guy's a loser. You know, there's this, uh, that language that we kind of look at different people, or those Republicans, those, you know, are there certain groups of people? No wonder this place is a mess. Look at those people. Or do you tend to get embarrassed and intimidated around certain people and groups? Do you feel real self-conscious around certain people? Oh, they got a lot of money, and we got to act really good here. (coughs) So it's kind of interesting. So when criticized, do do I get angry and judgmental? Do I attack right back, or do I get very discouraged and defensive? Do I make lots of excuses or, or give right in? Do I often think I would never, ever do what this person had done I mean, I've seen pastors who have fallen uh, due to immorality, lose their church, their family, and everything. And in the past, I I would have said, oh, my goodness, I can't believe that guy did that. And the Lord correct me on that. But by God's grace, but by my grace, if it wasn't for my grace, you would have done that. Made that very clear to me. It's like, oh, yeah? Who do you think you are? And... uh, So, do I think that I I would never, ever do what this person had done? Or do I often look at and say, I could never, ever accomplish what this person does? The tendency to put people up on a pedestal. It's like, oh, wow. So, I gave you some verses here. Galatians 5, 6, back to that. Remember, he says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. So how do we try to fill the void inside, either by religion or irreligion? He's saying, that's that's not going to fill, it's going to rattle around inside of you. All the the good works, you know, breaking all, uh, keeping all the rules or breaking all the rules, that's not going to fill the void inside of you. Only God can fill the void. In fact, he says this, only faith working through love. Man, when your heart is lit on fire by faith in God, you're going to be filled up with his love and it'll overflow your life. Verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbors as yourself. Verse 15, he says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Why would we bite and devour? Because there is provoking and envying because we are conceited and we are glory hungry. That's why. He says, you're going to devour each other. That's crazy. That doesn't make any sense. C.S. Lewis says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. It is a blessed self-forgetfulness because you are captivated by the love and the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ and you begin to understand how much worth and value you have in him. I love what uh, Tim Keller says. In his book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, listen to what he says. I like the way he says it here. He says, Friends, wouldn't you want to be a person who does not need honor nor is afraid of it? Someone who does not lust for recognition nor, on the other hand, is frightened to death of it? Don't you want to be the kind of person who, when they see themselves in a mirror or reflected in in a shop window, does not admire what they see but does not cringe either? Wouldn't you like to be the type of person who in their imaginary life does not sit around fantasizing about hitting self-esteem home runs, daydreaming about successes that gives them the edge over others? Or perhaps you need to beat yourself up Or perhaps you tend to beat yourself up and to be tormented by regrets. Wouldn't you like to be free of them? Wouldn't you like to be the skater who wins the silver and yet is thrilled about those three triple jumps that the gold medal winner did? To love it the way you love a sunrise? Just to love the fact that it was done? For it not to to matter whether it was their success or your success? Not to care if they did it or you did it. Did it you are as happy that they did it as if you had done it yourself because you are just so happy to see it isn't that crazy i want that and that's the humility that comes as a result of being captivated hearts smitten by the beauty and the glory of christ And that leaves us to the last section here the cure is the gospel It gives me, here's the first one, it gives me a whole new identity not based on comparisons with others, making me either superior or inferior to others, but but humble confidence. We've talked about this a lot, this humble confidence in our life. Back to verses 3 and 4 of our text. So you see this in our text. For if anyone thinks that he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. There's humility. Verse 4. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. There's the confidence. Next point on your notes. It humbles us by reminding us that we are sinners saved by grace. So it's indispensable. There's no other way that we could be reunited to God. but by grace, and at the same time, it gives us confidence by reminding us that we are loved by the only one in the universe that matters. So, here's what's crazy about the gospel, and and hopefully, when you start hanging out with us, you're going to hear this gospel message over and over and over again, and believe me, I never get tired of it any more than I would get tired of my bride telling me that she loves me, okay? I never get tired of that. And so even more so, I never get tired of hearing the gospel message. Because you know what? We haven't heard it enough. And we need it more and more so that it goes from our head down into our heart. And John 3.16, Romans 5.8, it just tells us that God is so committed to your unspeakable and glorious joy that he was willing to plunge himself into the greatest depths of suffering for you. For you and I. I not only because he had to, there was no other way for us to be reconciled to the Father, but because he wanted to. That's how much he loves us. He loves us that much. It's amazing. It's an amazing love. And this is, here's the next point. I am a unique, one-of-a-kind, original masterpiece. Created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that I should walk in them. That's basically Ephesians 2.10 that's also basically psalm 139 it's an amazing psalm first corinthians 4 7 it says for who sees anything different in you what do you have that you did not receive if you then received it why do you boast as if you did not receive it in other words and so just keep in mind that we are we are unique one-of-a-kind original masterpieces regardless everybody look up here Regardless of the circumstances of how you were conceived and brought into this world. Regardless of that, you're not an accident. You're here by divine design. God wanted one like you. Just like you. And he has specific work for you to do that nobody else can do. That's the gospel. There's a uniqueness to you and who you are and listen to me when you begin to to provoke and envy and you compare yourself with others you are demeaning the very God who created you and demeaning that that one of a kind originality that he has produced you in for his purposes there was a uh, Doyle Moody was wearing that t-shirt that in in the small group in that t-shirt I love that t-shirt it said you were born an original don't die a a what counterfeit. a counterfeit or let me come out there and here a copy yeah thank you a copy copy a counterfeit a, a clone like everybody else like any other thing turn to the folks sitting around you real quick and say to them you're a master. This gives a whole new meaning to the phrase, you're a piece of work, okay? You are a wonderful piece of work in the hands of Almighty God, and I'm not sure what he's going to be doing with you, but he's doing something, and he adores you, and he loves you, and I'm just waiting to see what he's going to do, and I know it's going to be really something fantastic. (laughs) Praise God. Praise God for his grace. Praise God for his grace. And then, to the degree that I am working for my identity, worth and value, that's the next fill in the blank, working for my identity. We're not to work for our identity, by the way. We're to work from it. You know that. But, but to the degree that I work for my identity, my worth and value, is to the degree, see if you can follow this logic, is to the degree that I will either feel superior, confident but not humble. In other words, it will go to my head. I will be inflated. When I'm winning or inferior, I will be humble but not confident when I'm losing. It'll go to my heart. Success has a way of either going to our head or going to our heart. So when I find myself either being inflated or deflated, you got to be aware of that, by the way, to be able to deal with it. And I can begin to wrestle with that a little bit and say, wait a minute, why am I, why am I so excited about this? I'm a child of God. That's even better. In fact, uh, so that's why he says in, in Galatians 5, 6, neither religion nor irreligion counts for anything but only faith working through love. Listen to what John five forty four. Jesus is speaking to the, to the religious leaders. I mean, these guys were the prestigious, very religiously smart, kind of a, kind of the rock stars, you know, athletic stars, movie stars of their day, really, in a lot of ways. They were highly esteemed. And he says, how can you believe believe in him, that is, when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, why would you exchange the glory of, okay, you're a CEO to a Fortune 500 company. Big deal. You can have my glory and you would exchange it for that. Or, or you've got a few Super Bowl rings. Okay, that, that's, that's okay but it's nothing compared to the glory that, that I have. And that's what he's saying here. He says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Okay, you've got your doctorate, your professor at a prestigious university, but why would you exchange that? And nothing wrong with that. That's, that's good, but, but that doesn't even, that, that pales in comparison to, to knowing my glory. I mean, and, and, I mean, that's kind of lofty what I just said there, but for us, it would be maybe the success at, at home having a successful home, having, having a, a spouse that affirms you. Why would you trade that for the glory that you have in, in Christ and what he says about you? Or having kids that, that do good in school or having a successful business or any number of things. That's what he's saying. Why would you do that when the only person in the universe whose opinion matters considers you of greater worth than all the wealth in this world? Do you have any idea what you're exchanging God for? You're you're believing the lie and you're exchanging the truth of God for a lie and worshiping and serving created things more than the creator. 125. I I mean, how much more worth and value do you need than for the creator of the universe to love you and rejoice over you and give his life for you? I mean, we've been talking about that throughout this whole series. And listen, there's no good circumstances. Think of the best circumstances in your life. They don't even come close. They can't give you the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control that only Christ can give you. The worst circumstances in life cannot take that away. They cannot take his presence away from you. They can't take that away. There's nothing. That's what we have in him. That's the point. And so we must preach the gospel to ourselves. When uh, feeling inferior, you must say, Jesus Christ, approval of me, not anyone else's, is my identity worth value and righteousness. I get, I get snubbed by a close friend. That's when you got to preach the gospel to yourself. When you get so devastated, oh, I lost my job. I went through this. I've done that. You're feeling pretty beat up by life. you know, the failure is going to your heart. That's when you preach that. But when it's going to your head, you got to recognize it. When, When feeling superior, you must say, what I think of me is not important, is not the important thing. I am just as much a sinner and undeserving of Christ's love for me as others. It's important. It's important. So here's, let me go back, let me go back to what I said earlier. What's the worst thing that can happen to us glory, hungry people? Not to be hated or despised, but to be ignored. We want to know that we matter. Now let me finish this up, and I want everybody to look up here. You got to get this last little part as we wrap up our time together. What's the worst nightmare that you could ever face? Here's, Here's your absolute worst nightmare that on judgment day and by the way there will be a judgment day when all of us will stand before the king of the universe the creator and sustainer of the heavens and the earth and your worst nightmare would be on judgment day to have the only one in the universe whose verdict matters to say to you I don't know you depart from me To be ignored eternally by God, listen to me, that's hell. That's hell. For people who have done everything they can to be free from God, to be their own boss, to live lives of ingratitude to the one to whom they owed everything. And then for them to stand before their creator and for him to say to them once and for all, I don't know you. Depart from me. I don't want that for anyone that's part of this church. Here's your greatest dream come true. On judgment day, to have the only one in the universe whose verdict matters to say to you, you are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased You got glimpses of that on earth through the revelation of my word and my son and through the work of of my Holy Spirit, but now enter into my eternal joy and happiness. See, that's a dream come true. Now, here's your choice. It's either going to be eternal separation from God or eternal celebration with God. Give your heart to God. Give your heart, give your life to Him. What are you waiting for? Oh, my goodness. Fullness of life awaits you as you become more and more fully devoted to Him. Next weekend, relationships part two. Let's pray. Father God, because we are glory hungry, we desperately try to fill ourselves with with temporal glory, all kinds of things in creation but end up empty. But your son, our savior, Jesus Christ, who was true glory, emptied himself of his glory so that we could be full. Philippians 2 makes that clear. He cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was ignored so that we would be forever remembered by you, the only one in the universe that matters. There's no reason for us to ever be worried or anxious or afraid because by grace, through faith in Christ Jesus, we are completely accepted, eternally forgiven, richly supplied with everything we'll ever need until you bring us home with you for all eternity. So out of this spiritual and emotional wealth, may we be people of humble confidence putting on display your beauty and glory through our relationships in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.